So we're in the third week of this series where we're trying to look at um, the words that we say. Words matter. Uh, And I am encouraging you to take heart of one particular scripture. Uh, So this is going to be a participatory kind of thing. Does anybody think that they have the verse memorized? Ephesians 4.29. Come on, this is your, you almost want to raise your hand, but you don't. Anybody? Okay, so our goal by next Sunday is I want everybody to have memorized Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. I had somebody stop me this week in the, in the office and said that in their course of um, the church that they had not ever seen a sermon series where more people were talking about it. Whether that's true or not, this was their perception, that their, their child was actually trying to actually memorize it. See, many of you have left and you have forgotten it. You haven't really taken to heart what the passage is. I'm challenging you. The Word of God, not only do words matter, the Word of God matters in our life. And we need to take heart what this passage is saying. We've looked at our family systems, kind of the words that we say within our families. And then last week we looked at the words that we say in our places of recreation, our businesses, the places that we go when we frequent, whether it's fast food or grocery store or wherever it is, the words that we say. Saturday, yesterday morning, we were, um, I was working in the concession stand at the soccer field, and one of the young men in the church, Reuben, y'all probably know Reuben, if you, if you don't, you need to meet Reuben, but Reuben took a canvas of painting, a canvas, and went into the uh, fellowship hall and painted this passage. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs. So it may benefit those who listen so that we could place this at the soccer field. So there would be a challenge and encouragement to the families. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But when you're around children. But my thought was this is also going to challenge each and every one of us who walk on that soccer field. If you're a coach, if you're a volunteer, if you're in the concession stand, you've always got to be thinking. You know what? If we're going to challenge these parents to speak into their children's lives, then we need to be taking that challenge ourselves. We need to learn that words matter. Now, I'll share with you, we've been having this living metaphor. I'm having victory. (laughs) So if you're new today and you're thinking, y'all did not do a very good job decorating, um, let me explain. So we have two, two plants, similar plants, both the same pot, same soil. I do what I can to love this plant. I talk nice to this plant. I water this plant. I I do everything I can to nurture and love on this plant. This one, I don't do anything to. I don't water it. I don't nurture it. I I, I haven't started, like, cussing at it or anything, but I don't talk really nice to this plant. Um, And prior to this week, we have not really been able to tell much difference. I really tried to push you last week. I was grasping at straws, telling you that there were some plants that were dying inside, and they were. Um, but we really couldn't see any significance. And I will tell you that Thursday morning, I came in here Wednesday night. If you came to choir practice, you probably walked by and thought, that's not the same plant. I have bought another plant. Um, It's not true. Wednesday night, you really couldn't tell much of a difference. So Thursday, 
I was around here, and we had a wedding in here yesterday, and so I thought to myself, I need to protect my plants because people want to water my plant, and I don't want it watered. And so I took my two plants down to my office, and I don't know if it was Diane or somebody suggested that we put the plant in the sun. Now, my thought was, y'all can tell I don't know anything about plants. My thought was, that's going to help it. But somebody said, well, you know, just put it in the sun. So I took the plant, and I sat it outside on the stairwell in the middle of the broad day, noonday sun. One hour, it looked like that. Now, in my head, I came running into the office. Jessica was in the office and says, I love a living metaphor because here's what I thought about the fact was how many of us, we think about the words that we say and we think about that we're really not hurting anybody by the words we say and they all look healthy. They look like they're pretty good. But one storm comes in their life and this is what they look like. One thing happens. One person says something to them. You're fat. You're ugly. You're stupid. Nobody likes you. One thing can happen in their life. And this is where they are. Our words matter. So we've been looking at these different systems. And today we're going to go a, maybe a little bit of a dangerous route. Um, we're going to move beyond our family systems. We're going to move beyond our places of recreation. And today I want us to explore the language that we use with regards to religion and politics. Now, my wife thinks that I'm absolutely nuts for talking about politics. Um, that was, she always says, anytime I ever bring up politics, why do you even go there? But if you know me about anything, you'll know that I'm one that I don't mind going there. Because I think in the church... We as people of faith, we need to be talking about the things that the world is talking about. And we need to be looking at what the Word of God says to us with regards to our language. Because we have words that can bring unity and we have words that can bring division. And so I invite us this morning to think about in the area of religion and politics. The problem that we have is that we're so passionate about it no matter which side we're on, right? No matter which side of the aisle you may find yourself on. And if you look at that from a national level, if you look at it from a, a, a national debate, we kind of see that on steroids. We see the fact that, that people are passionate about it, but they use their words to hurt each other, no matter what side you may find yourself on. And here's the scary thing for me, is that I feel like we're teaching the next generation that this is the only way that you can do politics. We're teaching the next generation that this is the only way around so I come back to this passage in Ephesians 4.29 where it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I invite you this morning to just stop for a second and ask yourself, does this word of God apply to politics? Do we... Do we just give it a pass? Do we just say, well, he's talking about all of these other things. How would our debate be different? How would we as a country be different if we actually listened to the word of God? Now, I'm not, in I'm not I, I, by no stretch are you going to hear me say that we shouldn't, that we can't disagree with each other. 
that we can't have strong debates. If you, if you get to know me at any level, you will know I love to debate. Uh, I love to debate lots of different things. So there's not that we shouldn't have debate. I mean, that's part of democracy, right? That's part of a representative democracy. If you go back and look at the early philosophers, Plato and Socrates, that part of what they were arguing was that this, this helped us to be able to, to have a good system, to have a, to have a great system when it's working. But my argument would be that in today, our system isn't working. Now, one of the reasons that I think, and this is solely my opinion, one of the reasons that I think that our system isn't working is we have an unwillingness to listen. We have an unwillingness to listen to each other. The idea of representative democracy works when somebody, what they were trying to create was somebody comes up with a thesis, an idea, a solution, and then somebody else comes up with an antithesis, an, an alternate solution, and you begin to listen to each other, and you begin to try to make a decision, and then the populace stops and says, okay, well, this seems to be the most reasonable way to move about. We just don't like that idea because that seems to take a lot of work. That would be a lot harder for us to do. Dave Barry talks about religion, but I think it applies to politics as well. If he says this quote, he says, people who want to share their political views with you almost never want you to share yours with them. Have you ever noticed that? People who want to share their political views almost never want you to share yours with them. I'm reminded of the passage that we looked at in the very first week of this series in James. And James' James' word to us was this. In James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. However, if you're like me, when we watch the political system that we live in, we, exact, we work the exact opposite, do we not? We're slow to listen. We're quick to speak. And we're quick to become angry. We all seem to be the expert. We all seem to know everything that we need to know. There's an old saying, you don't know what you don't know. I found that to be helpful. I will tell you that I am one who holds very strong views. Uh, I don't always tell you what those views are. I don't think it's my place to do that part of it, but there are strong views that I hold. But what I have found when I talk to people who view life differently than I do, when I talk to people who view politics different than I do, listening is a great weapon. Because sometimes I listen to somebody with an opposing view, and I go, hmm, that makes a whole lot of sense. And then sometimes I listen to someone with an opposing view, and I go, hmm, now I know why I believe what I believe. <laughs> right? But, but you listen. It happens when we listen. And that's what makes democracy work. We listen to each other. The second problem that I would tell you is, and again, this is in my opinion, the second problem is a failure to see human beings as people. There was a story in the news several years ago. I went back and tried to, to find out where the state where it was at. But there was a story of a farmer who he had access to a, an 18-wheeler truck. And he decided he wanted to make a statement. And so he brought this truck onto his property. And he painted on the side of the truck. It said, producer or parasite. And then he listed a political party. And he said, this, the party of the parasite. Now, I want you to think about this. 
How many people do you think drove down that road, saw that 18-wheeler, pulled over, and thought, now I have seen the light. I have seen what I needed to know. Nobody. And then you see people who, who wear bumper stickers for the a party that the farmer was supporting. You see people who that to say that that party is, is the, the new Nazi party. I mean, you see, we're using words to hurt. What does the scripture say? Use words that are helpful and building others up according to their needs. Most of the conversations that we have are not building people up. They're trying to poke people in the eye. What does God tell us? The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Chad talked about it with the young people this week on Wednesday night. To love your neighbor as yourself. Ask yourself. How can I love my neighbor if all I'm doing is poking them in the eye? Jesus teaches us who our neighbor is. If you go and read the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus teaches us who our neighbor is. Let's put it in a modern-day context and for what we're talking about today. A Democrat is robbed and beaten, left on the side of the road. Two Democrats walk by. They don't want to go over and help him. But a Republican comes along and goes over and helps, takes the guy to a hotel, pays all of his bills. Now, before you think I'm trying to decide which one, let's look at it the other way. A Republican is beaten and left by the side of the road. Two Republicans come by because this way I can appease everybody. Two Republicans walk by. They don't do anything. But the Democrat stops and takes him to the hotel and pays all of his bills. Jesus is teaching us in this story, the Samaritan and the Jew, they were different nationalities. They were different parties. They were different political spheres. They didn't like each other. And Jesus says the answer is love. Love conquered the division. The Samaritan and the Jews, in the story, the Samaritan comes along and he says, God is calling me to be bigger than what the world is calling me to be. God is calling me to live different than what the world is calling me to do. If we can't see other people as human beings, then it gives us permission to be able to say things that degrade them, tear them down, because we don't see them as people. And I will tell you, I talk often about my love-hate relationship with social media. I think social media fuels the fire a little bit because we can share things, we can forward things that we don't really know are true. We don't check them out. Somebody gives us something and so we forward the email or we, somebody gives us a thing and we, we share the post. If you remember last week, we talked about there was... The sin of detraction. When we post things, we share things that are not true. We haven't taken the time to check them to be true. We commit the sin of detraction. We defame people's character. We say things that are negative rather than building them up. Ask yourself, would you want somebody to do that for you? Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This is from the person who told us last week that we are going to be held accountable for every word that we speak. 
Folks, we can't dismiss what we say in the political sphere. It's not a nominal matter. Words matter. Everything that we say matters. And Jesus is saying to us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to live different. We have to be different. Again, don't hear me that we shouldn't disagree. I think social media could be great. It can be a place where I stand for this. Go look at this link if you want to look at it. That's great. We can disagree. We can debate. That builds up the country. But when you personally insult people, when you personally tear people down, it's something entirely different. And my argument is that we can vehemently disagree. We can debate. We can, we, we, we can argue back and forth if we want. But we need to listen to the word of God. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So the question for me then becomes, how do we let our faith influence our politics? It should, right? It should affect everything about us. There's a great book I would encourage you to go read. It's written by Senator John Danforth. It's a book called Faith and Politics. And one of the things that he talks about in his book is that when we bring our faith into the sphere of politics, it helps us gain perspective. It helps us to kind of get caught up in the idea that, or move away from the idea that politics is everything. I shared with you that Chad talked with the young people uh, on Wednesday night about the Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, talking about your identity and, and, and how you have your identity in Christ. Part of what he was talking about was the fact that things in life change. Your situations in life change. Your family dynamics can change. Politics change. Our absolute is Jesus Christ. That helps us have perspective of the situation. There's several quotes I want to share with you from his book. I just want you all to listen to this quote that comes from John Danforth's book when it talks about this perspective that we can gain. He says this, realize that politics is not in the realm of the absolute. Politics is not religion. Politics is just politics. It's always going to be sort of muddled. It's always going to be, as they say, sausage making. It's always going to be trying to work things out. I think faithful people can say to politics is, whatever your political leanings are, they're just political. You're not dealing with absolutes. This is not Armageddon. This is not God's side versus the opponents of God. So I think religion puts politics in its proper space. What I hear when I hear that quote is a reminder that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of two kingdoms. You are a citizen of the United States. But please understand that that is a temporary kingdom. The United States will not last forever. First and foremost, we are citizens of God's kingdom. That has to be our starting place. Whatever the hot topic is today, you know it. If you've been around longer than me, you know this. Whatever's the hot topic today in four years is not going to be the hot topic. You're trying to run people out of office. The reality is you're probably going to succeed 
And then four years from now, somebody's going to want to run your person out of office. And you know what? They're probably going to succeed. And four years, you're you're going to want to run their person out of office. And you know what? You're probably going to succeed. And then four years, they're going to want to run your person out of office. And you know what? They're probably going to succeed. Do you see the pattern? It changes. Faith helps us gain perspective on politics. Faith helps us gain perspective to realize Politics can be important. It's just not the most important thing. Another great thing about Senator Danforth's book is this discussion about life. He writes and teaches us that, that, that our culture teaches us life is about me, about what I can gain from it, what I can, what I can garner and, 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 and help me. Christianity, faith, teaches us that life is about other people. Do you know that this morning? That life is about other people. Listen to this quote. It says, put the public interest above private interest. Right now, politics has become really exclusively about pandering to people's self-interest. So what can I get out of it? How can I benefit the most and pay the lowest taxes? Has become the be-all, end-all of politics. Religion offers, which is really unique, the love commandment. It's not that we're going to become completely selfless people. We're not. But there's always the standard of the cross. Faithful people offer that to politics. Part of what we hope is that we're becoming more selfless, more full of agape love, sacrificial love. We put other people's interests. I love how he uses this imagery of the love commandment and the cross, two things that define us as Christians. There's one more quote that I want to share with you that talks about using words to build up and not tear down. Says this, we go to churches where there are people just like us. I think religion is about breaking down barriers, not maintaining them, bringing people together rather than being further wedges of driving apart. It's hard to bring people together if all I do is consort with people who are just like me. It helps to know people on the other side and to like them and just bring together, you know, just to be a place where there's all sorts and conditions of humanity. And where people know each other and like each other. And that's the important, the importance of a congregation. Folks, that's the power of this church. When I was moved here two or three years, two or three months ago, when I walked in the door, that's the power of what I see in our church. This morning, as this service unfolds over the service and the next service, we're going to look around and here's what I see. There are people who are white and people who are black. There are people who are rich and there are people who are poor. There are people who are liberal. There are people who are conservative. There are people who are Republican and there are people who are Democrat. What unites us is not a political ideology. What unites us is a love of Jesus Christ. Imagine what a difference that could make if we operate that way in the next 50 days. Imagine what we could influence if we operated with this passage. One of our core values is the gospel transforms people's lives. The gospel has the ability to tear down the barriers that our world wants to put up between us. The gospel has the ability to tear down the things that politics often put in the way 
I want you to think about Paul in Scripture. Paul goes and ministers to the church in Corinth. And then he goes to the church in Ephesus. We kind of saw a similar passage like this last week to the church in in Ephesus. But this week we're talking about the church in Corinth. He ministered to Corinth and then he went to Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he gets word that the church in Corinth is beginning to have division. They're beginning to battle amongst each other. They're beginning to fight and, and, and not get along. And so he writes back to them. And I want y'all to hear his response to them. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12, it says this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another says, I follow Christ. And then if you go read the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he spends the next 12 chapters telling us how this is wrong. Why we shouldn't be divided. Why we should be united. And then he comes to the 13th chapter where he gives the church, he gives us the solution to the division among us. This is not a passage that he wrote so that we would have a pretty passage to read at weddings. He wrote this passage to say to the church, I want you to be different. I want you to live differently. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, writing to the church about politics, about things that are dividing them. He says this, I will show you the most excellent way Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let me ask you a question. This is where it's that gut check time. When it comes to your political conversations, are you patient? Are you kind? When it comes to your political conversations, are you rude? Are you arrogant? Is there a part of you that is joyful when something happens to the other side of the aisle? Or do you get your joy out of truth? People often say, where's the church? in the political conversations? I think that's a good question. Where is the church? Could you imagine what would happen if the church said we're going to operate in the most excellent way? We're going to love. We're going to use our words to build each other up. We're going to use our words to, to build up according to the needs 
so that it benefits those who listen. I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has to, the possibility of transforming the election if we'll actually live out the gospel. Let me remind you what again what it says in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. May it be so. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come at a time in our lives where we need to be still and know that you are God, that we need to put our trust in you. And Lord, I realize that there's so many of us in the room, we are, we are passionate about what we believe. Help us to to use our words, to love everyone, to build others up, to encourage and strengthen rather than tear people down. Help us to live out of that passion, a desire to follow you first and foremost in everything that we do. Help us not to dismiss one area of our life to say that it's not subject to the gospel, that it's not subject to your authority. Help us to leave here today with a desire to to live out this passage, this word of wisdom that you give us. And I'll be the first one, God, to admit that there are times where I have, have said derogatory things. Where I've committed the sin of detraction. So I ask you to forgive me for those moments. But I do believe, God, that your word has the ability to transform people's lives. So, God, I pray that you can help me to walk out this door, commit my life to you, commit my words to you, use my words to build up your kingdom so that more people can see the strength that we have being together than we could ever show them on our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.